This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 247 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Lyme disease in people. The truth. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Kentucky Performance Products and Horse Quencher. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenda Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to a special episode of the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network well, why is it a special episode? It's a special episode because it's one I've actually wanted to do since Helene and I started the Horse Radio Network all those years ago, more than four now. It, you know, it's an episode on Lyme disease and people. Um, it's near and dear to me because I deal with it on an everyday basis for the last 13 years. Uh, and probably, I'm so glad, Helena, that you're the one doing this show with me today, and I'm going to let it all out there, what, what some listeners may have caught hints of along the way. Uh, but mostly I have not told this whole story on the air on any of the shows. But I'm so glad you're here because we used to live in Massachusetts real close to Helena and and her family. Uh, It's no secret that my wife Jennifer and Helena are best of friends and and have been for years. But Helena actually saw my Lyme progression and saw what I've gone through in the worst of times and then you know, as good as it's gotten, uh, and then also have helped me deal with it over the last four years uh, by hiding much of it uh, and much of what I go through on the shows here. So what we're going to talk about today is Lyme disease in people, and uh, we want to get behind, we want to get the truth out there that there is such a thing as chronic Lyme. A lot of the medical community and the American Medical Association and doctors don't believe that there is. Um... And I want to tell, start by really telling my story and what I've been through and, you know, what I really haven't told on the air. And if you, Helena, if you can fill in some blanks here, uh, feel free because, you yeah. know, I can't, one of the things is I can't remember it. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm actually kind of ironically, I get a couple bad days a month where my Limax up and Jennifer calls it word salad. I get a number of different symptoms and they're different every month. Uh, but one of the things is that is consistent is I can't speak very well and my words come out backwards and I have trouble forming sentences or remembering things. So I'll get through this the best I can because actually yesterday started my bad Lyme day and I thought, well, that's appropriate. The listeners will get to hear what that's like. Yep. Um, What uh, Helena unfortunately has experienced for a long time. (laughs) Well, you know, it's one of the things that we do talk about is uh, when you're comfortable with somebody and you you're close with somebody, um, you start to see the patterns in their what I call Lyme behavior. You know, like you said, word salad. It's like, oh, Glenn's got word salad. You you can pick I can pick up where you leave off, where your Lyme cuts you off. So. Right. Because we've known each other so well and, you know, just been part of this. Yeah. Uh, well, what happened was uh, about 
in 19 or 2001, when we had our big farm, we had about 25 horses and a big farm and Jennifer was doing a training stable. We had a tack shop at that point. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of things going on. I started just feeling like crap. I mean, I just, I was tired and I just wasn't feeling well. And then I started getting symptoms. One of, one of my first symptoms was the left side of my bar- body would start to go numb. Well, one morning I woke up and I couldn't feel the left side of my body. And Jennifer called an ambulance because we thought I was having a stroke. Now, I was in my 30s at that point. So we thought I was having a stroke. The ambulance came. They took me in for a stroke because I, they were pricking me on the left side. I was not responding. You know, they would, uh, you know, prick my feet and my hands and yeah. uh, that kind of thing. And I was not responding. So they really thought I was having a stroke. And I spent a week in the hospital where they did every test under the sun. CAT scans and blood tests and just every test that they could come up with. And I tested negative for everything. So they just could not figure out what it was. They said, okay, go home and see your family doctor. You're not having a stroke. And then eventually, after about four or five days, I could start to get feeling in my left side again, and I could start to use it again. And, you know, that it was about 50%. So I went home and kept getting sicker and sicker, went back to my family doctor who did blood test after blood test. And I had a good family doctor back then. <laughs> But Lyme was not, you know, we were, we were living in Pennsylvania. It was around, uh, especially in horses and dogs, but they weren't really real sure what happened in people at that point. Right. So, uh, and I had not, I, you know, we had ticks all the time that were horse people, you know, putting up hay. If you put up hay in a barn, you're going to get ticks, yep. uh, fresh hay. If you, you know, if you just weed whack you're gonna get ticks we got ticks all the time so when the doctor said you know have you had tick bites well of course we had tick bites we're horse people (laughs) you know (laughs) you pick them off and you go on and you know and one of the you know symptoms of Lyme is a rash is a bullseye rash well only about 50 percent or less of people actually get the bullseye rash and I could have had it and thought it was something else you know um so finally, they, this doc, my family doctor started sending me to every doctor in the world. I kept getting sicker and sicker. I was chronically fatigued. I had these wandering symptoms, that a pain in the joints, and you couldn't walk some days, and you couldn't get out of bed some days, and you were still trying to work. I was still trying to work, right. um, which was getting harder and harder all the time. You'd have a couple hours a day that were pretty good, and then you wouldn't know when you would crash. So what you would do is you would work when you could. Uh, I worked on that for about four or five years, even when I knew you. If I woke up at two in the morning and I was feeling pretty good, I'd get up and work at two in the morning because you didn't know. You you do it when you can do it. Yep. At 10 o'clock in the morning, you were probably in bed. So you couldn't work, you know. Um, Email was a godsend because I couldn't rely on the phone uh, because I couldn't even get words out at that point. But uh, I went through every kind of specialist, every kind of doctor you could imagine. Uh, we ended up selling our farm because I couldn't function and Jennifer couldn't run it on her own. Um, we sold the tack business because of that, because I couldn't, I couldn't contribute. And God bless Jennifer. Uh, she went through a ton of stuff with me uh, and stuck with me and you know, was with me that whole time. We ended up, after we sold our big farm there, moving to Massachusetts, and that's when she got the job at Myopia and when you two met. That's, um, that's right. And yeah. I was still battling. You know, I was at about, what, 30% then. Um, and, yeah, you, you were really struggling. 
you were really struggling. I didn't drive for a year because I couldn't. Uh, you're, what it, it's like being drunk. When you have the neurological form of Lyme, which I have, it's like being drunk drunk. Your reactions are slower. You can't think right. Uh, you'll be driving down the road and forget where you are. Uh, you won't know how to get home. Or you just can't. You'll see a stop sign coming, and your mind just doesn't process the fact that you should press the brake. Right. Um, and I... I had to learn that the hard way and almost causing an accident. And finally, Jennifer said, you can't drive. Um, you know, but it was almost, you know, she said, there was a stop sign back there and you ran it and we almost got sideswiped, you know, um, T-boned because I just, I saw the stop sign, but it didn't process that yeah. I should do something about it. Uh, finally found a family doctor right up there. What the little town we lived in right there in Massachusetts. Uh, the one south of that. that uh, Oh, south. Beverly. Yeah, Beverly found a family doctor there who really didn't know a lot about Lyme but was willing to learn. And I saw him for a half an hour every week. Imagine that, a family doctor seeing anybody for that long. Uh, but well, that's he, the nice part about the small time, the small town doctors. Right. Is they'll, they'll work with you. They might not know everything there is to know, but they do. they will serve as your advocate. They'll help you out. And Massachusetts was an area that, you know, had a lot of Lyme back then. You yeah. know, it started in Connecticut, and, uh, you know, New England was known for it. So he was learning, had a couple other patients, and put me on the antibiotics. I was on antibiotics for almost a year, uh, which causes problems, too, with your digestive system and everything else after you've been on antibiotics for that long. It doesn't—antibiotics don't always—don't just kill the bad bacteria and everything. They also kill the good. Right. Uh, that was doxycycline, right? Yes. Okay. I tried a number of them. Uh, I was on a number of them over the period of time. And what we what he started doing, and I can't remember the term for it, would be I would be three weeks on and two weeks off. Okay. Three right. weeks on and two weeks off uh, to give your body a break in those two weeks. But what would happen is in those two weeks, I'd get sicker and sicker again. Um, finally, it was your husband uh, and this family doctor and a lot of reading on the Internet that convinced me that I also needed to look at my diet. Uh, and I went on a really strict, very depressing diet. One of the things about Lyme, one of the symptoms is you're, you're mentally depressed. You get depressed. Um, of course, anybody that's that sick is going to be a little bit depressed. Right. Uh, but you also get emotional. And boy, when you then have to take away the one thing that I love to do more than anything else and to eat, uh, mm. and you're on this really, really strict a diet where there's no bread, no sweets of any kind, no sugar. You're you're basically on a diet of uh, the kinds of things that I don't like to eat. <laughs> yeah. um, it gets depressing, but boy, you know, after I got on it and with a lot of help from you and your husband, uh, it really helped. You know, after over about what was it, four or five months, I started getting better. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember about me from that period of time? About the symptoms um, and things. You know, the, probably the, the, the memory that sticks the most was the, um, was the downtime. Like the, the lack, your lack of ability to, to just function. Like you couldn't even get in a car. Um, I, I do remember you had your sense of humor, but you would say weird things. Like, like Weirder than normal? I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, exactly. That was my question. I'd be like... Was that a joke that I didn't get? Like, I, oh, I thought it was me at first, and that's how subtle it was. But then the more I got to know you when you were 
on your game, the more I realized when you were moving into a word salad moment. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. And I can tell when my episodes are coming on, too. I have a couple of symptoms that are guaranteed every month. Night sweats are one of them. Um, and that's sort of a warning that things are coming on. Irritability. I get very irritable. It, Jennifer calls it my monthly cycle um, <laughs> because I get irritable and cranky for a day before the actual symptoms hit. Yep. And she, she'll tell me, okay, you're going to have a bad Lyme day tomorrow because you're irritable and, you know, at, she's learned to deal with that. Uh, yeah. And I've learned to r- recognize it more and I'll say to her, you know, this is not a good day to to uh, deal with hard issues because I'll do it wrong because I'll be irritable and grouchy about it. Um, And, you know, those days I usually skip recording shows. Uh, I have done a couple of shows, but if you hear me not on the morning show, you know, with the recorded shows, it's easy. I can tell Helena, we can't do it today. We have to wait till the end of the week. Um, But with the live show, it's more difficult. If you've heard me not on the live show or I'm on the live show and I don't talk much and Jamie does all the talking, uh, that's probably because I'm having a bad day and we're trying to hide it. Yep. Um, you know, so so that happens. But I, you know, I probably spent a hundred and hundred twenty five thousand dollars in medical bills over the years. Uh, as I said, it cost us our business. It cost us two businesses. Um, thank God I actually met. Uh, I'm going to give him a plug here, uh, John from Bit of Britain. Um, because when we sold our business, I actually went to work for John as his social media and uh, website person and really just helped with marketing and he understood the Lyme and was very patient with me. He, he, you know, I worked there for five years and he knew that if I said, okay, this is a bad Lyme day, I may be working at midnight tonight. He got that and, you know, he didn't push it. He was always very, very good about it. So kudos to John for understanding that or I wouldn't have had a job. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it interferes with your life that much that you, you, it interferes with your life that much. And the funny thing is, is it's, it's almost invisible. That's what's really hard. It's not like, you know, you have a pronounced. Yeah, I don't have a growth on my forehead. Or, you don't have a growth yeah. on your forehead. You know, you don't, you don't become like emaciated or, you know, it's your, your outward physical symptoms are very subtle, but they're very debilitating. And why it's, it's really so hard to diagnose, let's get into that a little bit, because, you know, 50% of the people test positive for it, the other 50% that have it never do. The medical community has been fighting the fact that there is such a thing as chronic Lyme. They believe that you can get three weeks of antibiotics and get done. They don't really believe that, but the insurance companies have really forced them to believe that. Yeah. Um, because they don't want to, they don't want to even acknowledge that there is a chronic Lyme because it's going to cost them a fortune. Um, so they've been avoiding that. People with Lyme have had a, such a difficult time getting treatment of any kind. It's starting to change a little bit now, and we'll talk more about that as the show goes on with our guests. Mm-hmm. We have two guests coming up today we should mention. We have one who is a dressage woman who ha- has had chronic Lyme and has dealt with it. And then we have somebody from LymeDisease.org, which is an advocacy group for people like me. And she's going to talk about the legislation and where the research has gone and, and that kind of thing. But your symptoms are so varied. Uh, you can have headaches, stiff necks, uh, be very sensitive to light and sound. I had to wear sunglasses because I just couldn't handle the light at all. Yeah. Cognitive impairment, which is what I got the most of, sleep disturbance, um, depression, anxiety, mood swings, you know, I had those. 
arthritis, I had those. Fatigue, I had those. Uh, abdominal pain, nausea, and diarrhea. Well, I've always had that, so I didn't really... That wasn't anything new for me. Because you ate like a dog. Yeah, right. <laughs> Chest pain and palpitations. Uh, yes, and I went through that. I have a $3,000 bill on my desk right now from the hospital visit of two months ago, which turned out to be lying. Uh, you really? Of, you thought that was a heart, heart I attack? I did, and uh, we kind of determined after that that it, you know, they didn't find anything, and my blood pressure is perfect. And, oh, and then I got, I got symptoms aligned the day after. So I, sh- I probably shouldn't have went, but how do you, that's another thing, you know, how do I know it really wasn't a heart attack? My mom had her first one at 52. I'm 50. Yep. You know, how do you know that, that's another thing it does to you is you're never quite sure, you know, should I go to the doctor or shouldn't I? Should I, you know, uh, you don't know. Shortness of breath, tingling, burning, and shooting pains is one of the most common ones. I don't know if Peter had that, but it's one of yep. the most common ones. Your husband had Lyme and got treated for it, but how long was he sick? Uh, probably I would say, um, it was really, it really affected his day-to-day living about eight months. Yeah. Not three weeks and cured? Well, he had three weeks of antibiotics and they were like, okay, you're all set. Call us if there are any problems. But he wasn't even close to all set for a good eight months. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, probably, uh, what, you know, he's, is he back fully now, would you say? Yeah. 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 He, but it's also timing too. Don't forget it. It there's some. I think there's some schools of thought where is if you um, if you get to the bacteria or the spirochete, and it's a company, you know, and it's all all its nasty friends <laughs> that come along with it. Um, if you get to it right away, you have a chance of preventing it from becoming chronic. Correct. That is correct. You know, and so for you, you saw the bullseye and got to the doctor. Well, it's funny because I was like, geez, you, you must have got – and it, he got it in the summer, and we have big horseflies here. And I was like, wow, that's one heck of a horsefly bite. Mm. And he was like, yeah, it's just not itchy. And, I mean, so it wasn't a bullseye. It was just like a big – it looked like a huge welt, you know, maybe two inches high by three inches wide. And then the ring around the outside of the welt remained while the center of the welt – started to go back to normal and that's when it started to look like a bullseye and I went son of a boob you that's a tick bite and that took about a week I would say no actually I would say between uh, probably about three to five days and we went right in right into uh the doctor yeah and I think the people with chronic are more like me where I probably had it we thought maybe for even two years before you know, when we looked back then at how sick I had gotten off and on for the previous two years, it kind of made sense that, oh, wow, you know, I have had this for a long time. That's a, that's a long time for, um, you know, a parasite to be making its home in your body. And right. so, and to, to start making changes and affecting, you know, your brain, therefore your lesions and your neurological problems. I mean, it made itself right at home and started to do damage that at some point becomes irreversible and therefore you now have this chronic condition and i think as horse people we all know people that have had lyme or have chronic lyme and have dealt with it you know there are some very famous people with it as well authors and and uh uh, celebrities that have had to deal with it and have gotten really sick so i i'm I'm just hoping that uh if you're listening to this and you've had some strange things going on and you're obviously a horse person or you're not listening to this that, uh, you know, if there's something that strikes you and you go, you know, I never thought about that or for this person or a friend of yours, then then maybe this show will have done some good and be more than just me, you know, throwing out my problems. 
Um, let's take a break for our, for our first commercial here. Uh, and it's a new sponsor that we have here in the Stable Scoop radio show. It's Horse Quencher. So let's take a break for that. And then we're going to come back and we're going to speak to Marty Jacobson, who's a dressage rider and a chronic Lyme sufferer. And she's going to tell us her story. Is your horse not drinking enough? Whether it's from weather changes, minor illnesses, trailer and traveling stress, there are many reasons you will have a horse refuse to drink sufficiently. Yet being fully hydrated is the first line of defense against minor issues becoming major. There is a product that helps even the pickiest of drinkers drink more, all-natural horse quencher. Listen to what four-in-hand champion Chester Weber has to say about it. Since I was introduced to Horse Quencher, I've been wildly impressed with its ability to keep the horses in the water buckets drinking, and it's given me real peace of mind. One often doesn't know they need a product until they're introduced to it, and this was a product I didn't I didn't know I needed at all, but due to the traveling that we, we do, it's, uh, it's been really helpful. It's also been very helpful with horses that, you know, are a little colicky or something like that. We'll always hang in buckets um, in their stall, you know, they'll drink more, and their general health will just be better. Take it from Chester Weber. Horse Quencher is the all-natural product you want to help your horses drink as much as they should. Find it at your local feed store or tack shop or online at horsequencher.com. That's horsequencher.com. Well, before we get to Marty, I just wanted to say, after you heard that commercial for Horse Quencher, this stuff really works, Helena. Uh, we got it for Beaker. Beaker never drinks well when we take him away to go on trail rides and things if we travel. Yeah. In the trailer, he just won't drink. I mean, he gets done with a three-hour trail ride, and he won't drink any water. He's just weird that way, <laughs> our quarter horse. And we got this horse quencher stuff, and Jennifer tried it. She put it, she put it in the bucket like it calls for, mixed it up in a bucket, five-gallon bucket of water. He drank it right up. He drank almost the whole bucket right and after it's not salt, or I mean, does it have no, salt in it's, it? It's a it's a natural grains and flavorings. It looks like grain, actually. Okay. Uh, and you just mix it into water, and boy, the horses just drink this up. You know, I was actually talking to to a couple of professional riders that use this, and they take it with them every time they travel. They'll put it in when they make rest stops, and and they'll they'll put it in their horse's water to guarantee that they're drinking. And I'll tell you what, we found very few horses that don't drink this stuff right up. It's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like a, a vitamin water for horses, but they really, really like it. Um, and we've had such great luck with it. You heard Chester Weber in that commercial talk about it. And he lives right down the street here. He uses it for all his horses when they travel nationally or internationally uh, because they just drink with it. And it really, really does work. We found this at the last Ada we went to, and now they've come on as a sponsor. So I highly recommend if you see Horse Quencher at the store, go to horsequencher.com to order it. If you see it at the store, just get some of it and give it a try. Uh, Whether your horse has a drinking problem or not, you know, if you want to guarantee your horses drink when you travel, this is a, uh, is a guaranteed way of doing that. Or when they're even at home after long trail rides or hot workouts. So give it a try. Hmm, horse quencher. Horsequencher.com. And now to Marty Jacobson, and we hear her story. Well, hi, Marty, and welcome to the Stable Scoop Show. I appreciate you being on. Thank you very much for having me. Well, now, uh, you you are a horse person, right? Tell us a little bit about your background horse-wise. 
Yes, well, I was one of those horse-crazy girls, you know, from way back when, as long as I can remember even knowing what a horse was. And, you know, I had all the posters on my walls as I grew up and drew horses and did anything possible that I could to um, be around horses. I would muck stalls every single day for a one-hour-a-week lesson, um, one of those kinds of girls, and uh, took lessons for many, many years. And then when I wasn't feeling, you know, real well and I didn't realize I had Lyme, um, pretty much got out of that as well as everything else in my life. Um, I was a, a runner. I was a competitive natural bodybuilder, um, downhill skier, cross-country skier, snowshoer. I mean, you name it, I did it. Hunter, I, I hunted upland game, and so everything went. My horses, everything, just well, gone. Where are you from? Where, what state? I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota, Okay. And um, and it's not one of the areas we would normally go, oh, that's a hotbed of Lyme, but yet uh, you were telling me yesterday about that. Well, let's go, let's let's fast forward now to the point where where you started to become ill, and, and tell us that story. What happened there? Okay. Well, my daughter had been diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis at about age six, and I started showing the same symptoms, and... Um, went to her rheumatoid specialist and I was also diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and this was about oh gosh 20 years ago or so and because my joints especially were were just killing me and yet I had headaches I had fatigue well fatigue also goes along with rheumatoid arthritis but none of the medications that were prescribed for me you know thinking I had RA or rheumatoid arthritis worked Absolutely nothing. The only thing that seemed to work a little bit was prednisone. And unfortunately, prednisone is contraindicated in Lyme disease, but we didn't know I had Lyme at that point. And so this went on for years and years and years. And finally, one day when I called for a new prescription of anything to help me, because I was just in agony, um, and this was about six or seven years ago, my rheumatoid doctor's nurse said, Dr. X... (laughs) can't treat you anymore. He's done everything he can, and he basically fired me as a patient. And so I suffered and suffered and just took, you know, aspirin and Tylenol and everything else. And um, in the meantime, my daughter was diagnosed with Lyme disease by a nurse practitioner, a very astute nurse practitioner. And um, so she was put on medications and everything. And I started getting more symptoms that I felt were Alzheimer-like, and my mother had early onset Alzheimer's, and so I was concerned. My memory was just failing me. Um, I would be driving down a, a very familiar highway or road or whatever, and all of a sudden I would think, where am I? I know where I'm supposed to be going. I know where I came from. I don't have a clue where I am. I don't have a, you know, and finally it would take like some major landmark that I was familiar with um, to to make me come back to, oh yeah, okay, okay, I know where I am. But it was, oh, it was horrible. And I would find myself walking into rooms with, uh, you know, on a mission, you know, let's say to go take a load of laundry out. And I'd walk into the laundry room and think, what am I in here for? What did I come in here for? Where, what am I doing? 
And sometimes I'd remember, sometimes I wouldn't. So I ended up going to see my daughter's Lyme doctor, and I had been seeing my own family practitioner, my primary care provider, and I'd been tested for Lyme twice, came back negative, and so she, and then she said, you don't have Alzheimer's because, and she gave me this test, and I won't go into all the details, and she said, yeah, I think you're just, you know, you're just being forgetful. Well, this wasn't normal forgetfulness. This was, if, oh, let's say I was trying to say the word chandelier. I couldn't find the word chandelier. It might come out chameleon or something that my wife, started with Marty, the my wife letter. calls it word salad. Uh, Absolutely. She says I word have word salad. salad. Um, mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. everything comes out, you'll you'll, and I'm as I said earlier in the show, I'm I'm having a bad day today. So things they might get a firsthand experience with word salad, but I'll hear it correctly, and right, I'll hear the whole sentence correctly in my mind. And Jennifer mm-hmm. will say, "Do you know what you just said?" And I'll say, "I have no no. This is what I said." And she said, "Nope, that's not how it came out." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, or, or I find myself also like circling the word. It's like I know what yep, word I want yep, to find, yep. and I can come up. It's like a thesaurus. I can come up with every word that kind of, sort of is like that word, but I can't find that word that I want, and it just drives you crazy. And like you and I just spoke a few minutes ago, I have a very good friend who I call my translator. She's used to me not being able to complete sentences sometimes or get off on the wrong track or switch switch topics mid-sentence. I mean, just bizarre. And well, I'm ha- I happen to be having a good day, so yeah, <laughs> hopefully I'm sounding somewhat lucid. <laughs> well, you know, I, I you know we're going to get more into I want to get more into your story a little bit, but uh, mm-hmm. Helena is the only one when we first started the Horse Radio Network, and I think Helena, I told you this, you know, because I have several bad days a month, mm-hmm. every month, um, some worse than others. Uh, you know, I told Helena that. She was the only one I would start this with because she knew my story. She had seen it firsthand when we lived near her, and you know they were our best friends. So, Helena, you saw me at those days where I would—I couldn't drive for—I didn't drive for a year when I was when we lived in Massachusetts near you. I wasn't driving. Jennifer had to drive me everywhere. Yeah, and there were days when, and and not only that, but your environment seemed to exacerbate your Lyme symptoms. So there was a lot, there was a lot of unknowns, and you needed somebody who can just. Like you said, have a trusted translator who knew where you were going with something, knew you well enough to uh, just pick up wherever there were gaps in your conversation or your thought process. It really, you know, Marty, you obviously got to the point where you're, you were being treated for your Lyme. Tell people about what ended up happening there. Right. Um, I started going to my daughter's Lyme doctor, and um, he put me sort of on the right track, and I did show improvements. Um, first with oral medications, and then finally because I was getting right? some. In- yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And um, because I was having so many neurological problems, um, it was decided to also put in uh, a PIC line, uh, peripheral. Um, What's that? Intravenous catheter, peripheral, okay. and it goes like in your arm, but it goes up and then down and just to the apex of your heart. And that is Now, wait a minute. It's a line that goes in your arm and all the way through the vein and into your heart, pretty much? Correct, oh. yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's called a one of those in them all sure. the time? <laughs> that sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, and so I would then self-administer IV drugs, you know, at home. I mean, once I was shown, you know, how, and have to have weekly dressing changes, which is a pain in the patootie because you have to, you know, take that time and everything. 
but it still wasn't helping. And I can give you another example. Um, I had gotten back into horses, and I was going to do, I have Tennessee walking horses, but I was going to do a, a, a trail obstacle course. And, you know, they post the, the pro, you know, the pattern ahead of time. I thought I knew it. I went in. I forgot everything I was supposed to do, where I was supposed to go in the pattern. I mean, just horribly. I couldn't remember. Came out of the class absolutely in tears. And I think I, I knew people didn't understand why, but I knew it was just I couldn't remember it could not remember it. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, um, I ended up finding a very, very good Lyme doctor for my daughter, who was who also, as I said, has Lyme and who also has um, passed it on to her daughter through in utero. She didn't know she had Lyme when she was pregnant, and her daughter did acquire Lyme disease in utero. But um, her doctor is out in New York City, and so I went to him about two and a half years ago, and he changed my life because he introduced one drug that nobody else had been giving me. And as you know, Gary, um, the Lyme spirochete, Borrelia burgdorferi, uh, often like surrounds itself or insists itself in a uh, material called a biofilm. And the drug that I was finally put on attacks the biofilm because if you don't kill the biofilm, no matter how many, you know, antibiotics you take, they can't get into that bacteria. And I also have uh, some other co-infections. Many ticks, which carry Lyme, carry other diseases. I have mycoplasmosis, Bartonella, and uh, Babesiosis. Yeah, there are many forms of uh, of the disease, and a lot of people don't mm-hmm. realize that either. Um, right. It comes know, in a package. You get the package. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just Lyme. You know, you get all the add-on services like you just mentioned. But, I, you know, I, I um, being an outsider, being someone who does not have Lyme. Now, um, my husband had Lyme last year, which I find saying that is very interesting. Had Lyme last year as if it's completely gone. There are so many different um, folds to this, or there's so many different layers of complexity and different kinds of bacteria and other, um, I don't want to say complementary, but other organisms that go along with it that, you know, it's hard to determine what is just forgetfulness or, you know, general human flaws versus actual symptoms of the disease. How do you... Um, how do you manage your day-to-day life? Like, do you, do you um, start to recognize like, oh, this is definitely a Lyme symptom versus this is just me being a little stressed out or a little too busy on a particular day? Most of the time, but not always. Um, because that's just it. Just because a person has Lyme, one can't blame everything on Lyme. You know, we still get other things, you know, just like anybody else. But you learn to know what symptoms have gone along with your particular um, disease progression or, you know, your symptoms. Um, Babesiosis is one that causes horrendous foot pain. And when I say foot pain, on the soles of your feet, it's, it's a burning, horrible, it's like nothing you've ever had before. It's, I can't describe it. 
but it's there. The fatigue that goes along with Lyme disease, um, the, the winter of 2010 and 11, I was pretty much bed-bound the entire winter. And as my doctor explained to my very good friend, who is my translator, when she went with me out to New York, I couldn't go by myself because I, I kept getting lost. I mean, I couldn't find my way out of a paper bag at that point. And so she went with me. But as he said, the fatigue is so bad that if he were to lay a $1,000 bill on the desk, which was maybe 15 feet away from me, and say, Marty, and he said, and this is when, when a Lyme patient is in the, the most horrendous fatigued state, and they just don't care, he said, Marty, if you get up and you can, you can have that $1,000 bill if you get up and walk over and get it, and he said, when a Lyme patient is in that, that horrendous fatigued state, they don't care they'll leave that $1,000 bill sitting there because they just can't. They just can't. And I remember having, you know, laundry to do or horse chores to do or God bless my husband for taking care of my horses during that horrendous time. Um, I still have, I now have what's called a Hickman catheter in, and that's placed in my chest and it goes again directly into my heart through the veins and, and then into the heart. And I do IV therapy, but I'm making such excellent progress that we think it's only another month now of the IV therapy, but then I'll be on oral meds for a while. Um, but hopefully, we think my Lyme is in remission, but the babesiosis is still kind of continuing. And that's the thing. You, 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 remission is the word that uh, of the day, really. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'll be fine for you know fine uh, you know we always my wife and I and and I think <laughs> I think Helene and I have always uh, judged my current Lyme state especially when I was the sickest which was when we lived near you Helena yes. up there uh, we always had a hundred percent scale you know Glenn's and Jennifer would tell our friends and things Glenn's only at about thirty percent today he can't come out and play wow. you know yeah. or or he's at fifty percent today I think. From where I was before Lyme, which was almost a photographic memory and, you know, everything that uh, I could accomplish back then, uh, you know, and almost a genius IQ and the whole thing, I'm about, I run at about 75% of where I was before. Would you agree with that, Helena, on a daily basis? It's, it's only about 75% of where it was before every day. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would, for me, I would say it was a little bit more than 75%. I think you've made great strides because you've also done a lot to manage your your diet, your stress level, and your environment. So I think you're up above the 75% mark. And then on my but. bad days, like yesterday and today, I'm probably down around 60%, which is a hell of a lot better than the 30 that you and I have been at yes. times, you know, yeah. Marty? There are times where you're just not capable yeah. of even yeah. picking up the phone. Yeah. 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 Or sure. I wouldn't have yeah. gone over and gotten that $1,000 bill. That's an interesting uh, analogy because I wouldn't have done Oh, I thought it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a perfect analogy. Well, and, and that's, you I mean, understand that, that Carrie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a big the the fatigue is universal. That that overwhelming fatigue yep. is universal. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why some- it's misdiagnosed as uh, chronic fatigue syndrome so many times. You know, it's Exactly. That's one of the most common misdiagnoses of Lyme disease is and I've had them all and you've had them all is mm-hmm. chronic fatigue syndrome and and that's something I think doctors use as a catch-all. Well, they're tired, it has to be chronic fatigue because they don't want to deal dig any further. Um I think it, that's where chronic fatigue is in a lot of cases. It's something that they just pull out of their hat. Uh, well, and, and if I may interject something, Gary, also, um, I had eight 
lesions on my brain. I mean, they were there, you know, year after year. And when I finally got on the IV therapy, they're gone. There's not even a scar of any of those lesions. And my neurological symptoms have gotten better. But one thing, there is a doctor in Minnesota who does a lot of research, and her name is Dr. Elizabeth Maloney, and she speaks at the ILADS, you know, uh, conventions and everything else. She's very well respected throughout the country. And she and I have become friends. And she told me, because I remember saying to her, um, do you think that history and symptomology are probably at least 90% of diagnosing and maybe 10% is test, you know, results? And she said, oh, Marty, she said, I think it's more like 95% of patient history and everything else. And she said, that's what's so sad is doctors are so quick. And and I don't mean all doctors. Some doctors are so quick to label something and they're under pressure. You know, they're supposed to be getting patients in and out and in and out and in and out. And Lyme patients take a lot of time. They really do. And um, like she said, okay, let's say the person's forgetful, and so now you're diagnosing them with dementia or Alzheimer's. But um, with Alzheimer's, people usually lose their sense of humor. With Lyme disease and the forgetfulness, they don't lose their sense of humor. They still can appreciate, you know, what's appropriately funny and not and whatever. And they also don't have the swollen hot knee or the headaches or the... And she said... The doctors need to take the time to listen to that patient and what is that patient's former lifestyle and what brought them to to you today, what are their complaints. And that's where many doctors fail. They look purely at test results. Well, it was negative, so you're good to go. Yeah, and I never tested positive. Um, I, you know, they did a couple of the generic tests, and I never tested positive. Right. I did find two family doctors, one when I lived in Pennsylvania and one when I lived in Massachusetts. And actually, you talk about listening. I saw them for a half an hour. They scheduled me a half an hour every week, every week, mm-hmm. um, because they were just trying to manage. You know, that's when I was at that 30% level. So, mm-hmm. Marty, we have to let you go. We're running out of time. Thank you so much for sharing your story and i'm so glad that you're you're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel a very yeah, long 20 we wish tunnel. you a very <laughs> speedy 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 recovery from this point forward thank you and thank you for having me and gary i truly wish you the best of luck with your lyme i really do and i'm so sorry that you have that diagnosis but thanks again for having me all right no problem thanks marty thanks marty uh-huh. bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye. And coming up is Carolyn Degnan of LymeDisease.org, which is a nonprofit corporation that serves as a central voice for Lyme patients across the nation. They do this through advocacy, <laughs> I think I'd have it, advocacy, <laughs> education, and research. And they've been around for a while, uh, since 1989. And they are actually working very hard to revolutionize the Lyme disease arena, specifically in public policy, advocacy, and science. So, um, you know, they're, they're really an organization that's trying to cut through the crap, the BS. Yeah, yeah the crap. <laughs> um, and so Carolyn is going to talk to us a little bit. And she has Lyme. She has Lyme disease, right, Glenn? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. I don't, I don't know if she does or not. Um, and so, so really, so their goal, the goal of the organization in general is to 
also include the patients so the patients can be involved at different levels of decision making, which is really, you know, a lot of times the patient, I never hear of patients being involved in where um, their medical support or their healthcare support is going. You know, you have to have, unless you're like, you know, this major cancer organization or like, you know, the American Heart Foundation, um, Lyme disease doesn't really have anything like that until uh, this organization. So I'm really interested to see what Carolyn has to say about how they're supporting Lyme patients. And we're going to do that right after this Nutrition Minute from Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Spring is here, and so are pastures full of luscious green grass. Spring grass is high in vitamins, minerals, and sugar. Most horses have little problem adjusting to the changing sugar levels found in spring pasture, but for at-risk horses, grazing on sugary grass can lead to big problems such as colic or laminitis. By paying attention to daily temperatures and following a couple of simple rules, you can limit your horse's access to such sugar-laden grasses. In the spring and fall of the year, limit grazing or stop it completely when daytime temperatures are warm and nighttime temperatures are below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Under these conditions, the grass produces sugar during the day and it stores it in its leaves. At night, the plant transfers the stored up sugars to the roots and stems to fuel the growth. If the evening temperatures are cold, the grass will not make that transfer and all of the sugar will remain in the leaves where it is readily available to your horse. In the summer when days are sunny and nights are warm, it is safe to allow grazing in the early morning hours, but it should be restricted late in the afternoon or evening. This is because most of the sugar that was produced the previous day has been used for growth overnight. Therefore, the level of sugar in the leaves is low in the morning. But as the day progresses, the grass once again accumulates sugar in its leaves in preparation for nighttime growth. So later in the day, the more sugar-packed leaves become. Because grass is a great source of essential vitamin E, horses that are restricted from grazing, especially easy keepers and horses in hard work, may develop vitamin E deficiencies. Lack of vitamin E can result in sore, stiff muscles and neurological problems. Elevate Maintenance Powder from Kentucky Performance Products is an affordable way to provide your horse with the vitamin E missing from his diet. Each scoop provides 1,000 international units of natural vitamin E, and natural vitamin E is absorbed and retained in the tissues at a much greater rate than the synthetic vitamin E found in many feeds and supplements. Best of all, when you choose a Kentucky Performance Product Supplement, you get a 100% satisfaction guarantee. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the Stable Scoop Show. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Well, now, you are with an organization called, uh, or representing an organization today called LymeDisease.org, which I have been following since you know, forever, it seems like. Uh, used to be uh, under a different name, but you're one of the groups that really advocates for for people like me. Tell us about the organization. 
Well, it was originally called CALDA, California Lyme Disease Association, and we decided that we wanted to go by our URL name instead because it was more well-known. So we are now LymeDisease.org. We are based in California, but we work countrywide and even in Canada. And our mission is teaching people about prevention, what to do once you get sick, and how to be your own best advocate when you are sick. And that is so important, and I want to get into that a little bit with you. The American Medical Association and and insurance companies really, in the past couple of years, have refused to accept the fact that there is chronic Lyme. Um, you know, they basically come out and said, you get your three weeks of antibiotics, you're fine, you're cured. If, if you're not, it's something else. Why do you think or why does the organization think that they have taken this stance um, and, you know, why have they been so adamant about it? Well, unfortunately, it's about the almighty dollar. And in the 1980s, the government allowed scientists to patent DNA for their research. And some of the very large universities on the East Coast patented the DNA of the Lyme Borrelia. And because of that, Future studies have been limited or completely done away with. It's in their interest not to let other people test the DNA to find uh, a vaccine. Okay, wait a minute. Let's stop right there. And I'm sure Helena just picked up on that one, too. You can patent DNA. (laughs) It's like it is DNA. It is what it is. It is what it is, but you can patent it. Okay, that's just ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> All right, keep so going. That been the, that's been the bottom line where why we don't have a vaccine, a workable vaccine for humans. We have one for dogs, but we don't have one for humans. We don't have a definite diagnostic test for Lyme disease. Um, the ELISA has a 50% false positive rate as well as a 50% false negative the Western blot's a little bit better, but you're rolling the dice when you rely on tests because they're not accurate. And I, and mine, I never tested positive yet. You know, I had pretty much every symptom you see on the on the Lyme list of symptoms that you can get. Um, mm-hmm. And I was diagnosed that way. Um, you know, as opposed to, because they basically ruled everything else out in my two years of going back and forth to specialists in the hospital. Um, you know, that's the very typical story that I hear. I manage a medical practice, and all we do is treat tick-borne diseases. And by the time people get to us, they've seen 7 to 15 doctors. They've been ill for 4 to 10 years or even longer, and they all say the same thing. I never tested positive, and here are my symptoms. And we could not get a doctor to believe us. You know. That's very typical. And the doctors are discouraged, too. There's been doctors actually fired for treating Lyme patients aggressively, haven't there? There have been. Luckily, a lot of the states have now put in um, legislation to protect doctors who treat with long-term antibiotics. Not every state does it, and it's not completely foolproof, but at least it's something that's a start. So tell us about what, you know, what, if somebody comes in or if somebody thinks that they have the symptoms of Lyme disease, uh, which we'll go over here a little bit later in the show, you know, what should they do? How can they be their, their best advocate? They go to the doctor, they get tested, and, and you know, there's 
there is or is it comes back positive or negative not and you know one of the symptoms that is uh for Lyme disease is you get a rash you get a rash that's a round circle that it looks like uh it looks like a rash a round circle rash i don't remember getting that because to be honest at that point in our lives we were doing hay we had 25 horses in the barn we were getting tick bites all the time and to see a rash i probably just thought it was a bruise you know well you may not even see one at all because less than 25 25- percent of the people who are bitten actually end up with the classic bullseye rash. Now, did your husband, did Peter, uh, Helena, end up with Had, the rash? He did, he yes. Did. Okay, so yep. you saw that. All right. Yeah, the ring, the bullseye, the classic textbook line. Okay, all right. Um, but the fatigue was the longest lasting and the most devastating. And the joint pain, I mean, the joint pain, yes, was there, but it took, it took many, many, many months for the fatigue to, to fully disappear. And that's the thing, too, Carolyn, that, that one of the things that uh, I ran into is it's so hard to diagnose this because the symptoms are so varied and they change within the person. In other words, you know, I would have one symptom one month and still go through this, actually, on a regular, on every month. I would have one symptom one month, and it would affect me completely different the next month. And now I've come to recognize when I'm getting into a bad Lyme time. And I, you know, I know that, okay, I could have almost anything, and it, it could, you know, it's probably attributable to the Lyme. I had a $3,000 uh, hospital bill from a month and a half ago when I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, went to the hospital and they tested for everything, couldn't find anything. And the day after I was at the hospital, I started getting other symptoms of the Lyme that I get, you know, a couple days every month that, uh, that I then went, Oh no, that was Lyme. I just hadn't had that, that what felt like a heart attack thing for a long time. So it's the, the variety of symptoms, isn't it? That really causes a problem. The difficulty with Lyme, unfortunately, is it affects every single organ in the body. Some uh, patients present with just gastrointestinal uh, problems. Others present neurologic problems. Some just have the fatigue and the arthritis. And then, unfortunately, we have lots of patients who have all those. So it's all over the spectrum. And you're right. What affects you today could be completely different from the symptoms you present in a month or a year. Now, mine seems to, well, I have you here, for <laughs> um, yeah. the free medical advice. Sorry, Helena. Uh, <laughs> mine seems to, you know, I'm at the point where I went through the time where I was, you know, a year or two on antibiotics. And, and then I started really watching my diet. I had a very progressive family doctor who really helped me find a diet that helped me more, probably more than the antibiotics ever did. Um, and so now I come at the point where I probably have two bad days a month. I can tell, you know, that they're, they're coming on, and my wife can certainly tell they're coming on. Um, and then I have two bad days a month, and I kind of, you know, I, I say to myself, well, uh, people have had a lot worse. You know, I get better, I'm okay. Is that a common thing for people with chronic Lyme who, you, you, to, to, for it to wake up a couple days every month? It's very common. Okay. And I, some kind of stressor can make it be worse. Um, we re- seriously recommend that all of our patients can get completely off sugar and eat any kind of junk food, eat a healthy diet, um, because that seems to help mitigate the Lyme symptoms. 
And the diet I was on was uh, sugar and uh, starches, breads, uh, things like that. Uh, it was, it's basically the Atkins diet kicked up 10 notches. Okay. Well, that's a good diet for Lyme patients. Yeah, that was, that was basically what it was. So what do you think now on the political side of things? Has it started to change? You said some of the states have become involved and have started to, uh, to, you know, to legislate the fact that you have to treat people with Lyme. Um, so has it improved? Where are we at with it? Well, I've been in the Lyme world for 12 years now, and when it first started out, you couldn't have anybody in Northern California say that there's Lyme in California. But I think we're at the tipping point. Um, New York is being extremely progressive and forward-thinking in their legislature on uh, passing Lyme legislation for patients to be treated, and they've been working very diligently this last year and they're the state right now to follow. They're progressive, and we need to watch what they do, and hopefully the other states will fall into place. Well, you know, I, it's it's just a little sad that the, the politics, but I guess it's like anything in healthcare that the politics really dictate what happens. It's very sad. You know, I have a fabulous senator, but I don't want her making decisions on my health care. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, she didn't go to medical school, and... Unfortunately, what we have in the insurance companies, we have gatekeepers who are given a matrix, and if you don't fit into that matrix, you don't have Lyme disease. And the matrix, unfortunately, is set up by the Infectious Disease Society and the CDC. What's the you know, I just had that. I just had this conversation with a close friend this weekend who's in the healthcare industry, and it's true. These, it, it, and it's kind of like the banking industry. There are these matrices that you must fall into in order to qualify for any kind of effective care. Um, but then what happens is people who are truly suffering with Lyme disease, there, there are way too many of you who fall into the gaps. You know, you don't fit into the matrix, but yet here you are clearly suffering. And, um, you know, it, I, I, it just to me, it comes back to, like you said, dollars. It comes back to money and politics. Um, so you have to, I, I mean, to me, you have to find somebody a, like Almost, this is the way I look at it. Like, my husband went to a small town family doctor, and that person, that doctor had to become his advocate. You know, had, knew the physician had to figure out how to work around this complicated system in order to, to give him the most effective treatment. Unfortunately, that's very true. And we want all of our Lyme patients to have an advocate, whether it's their doctor, their nurse practitioner, a family friend, somebody who can be there when those days are bad and your your brain isn't working to help them muddle through the piles of insurance papers and things that they have to fill out and disability papers. It's overwhelming to somebody with neurological lungs. Oh, my gosh. It's overwhelming. Or someone who's fatigued or in pain or mm-hmm. scared. Yeah. Yeah. You really need somebody at your side. And that's hard to find sometimes. You may have to shop for doctors to find that. I did. Um, because, the, you, you know, the, my family doctor initially didn't, you know, he was, uh, he was of the opinion that you get your three weeks and it must be something else. So that's why over the next two years I saw every specialist there was. Uh, I th- felt I had the most complete checkup that anybody could ever get in their life over the next two years. 
Uh, fortunately, the insurance company at that point paid for it, uh, you know, because they kept saying it was this or that, or we have to rule out this or that. Pre- basically could have saved probably $100,000 in medical bills had they said, oh, you got Lyme from the beginning, you know, rather than through all of that. And Glenn, your story is so typical. It's just, which is sad. <laughs> I can't tell you how many patients come to our clinic with that same scenario that they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, been misdiagnosed with multiple sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease. Yep. Both of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and they actually have Lyme disease. How, we, how do. How do you find somebody? You, you know, Helena, you happen to get a family doctor that, you know, because you live in Rhode Island, was probably more, uh, you know, versed in Lyme. But- yeah, that's true. But we're also in a small town. So you have your relationship with your family physician is a little bit different than in some of the larger suburbs and cities. Yeah. It, it is. It's true. Small town living is different that way. We recommend looking for a Lyme literate MD. How do you find that? And. If you go to the Lyme Disease Association website, not Lyme um, Disease.org, but Lyme Disease Association, there is a link or a form you can fill out to look for a Lyme literate doctor in your area. Now, not every area is going to have a Lyme literate doctor, and you may have to travel a ways to see one, but the Lyme literate doctors are part of the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society. And they firmly believe that Lyme is a persistent infection. It needs to be treated with long-term antibiotics, and you treat till the symptoms are gone. And, and you know, I had the that you know we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I took the long-term antibiotics for for a long time. And uh, you know, that also when you take antibiotics for that period of time, you you have other things that can crop up. Antibiotics, you know, can be can be harmful to your digestive system, and I went through all of that, too, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then the diet was the thing that really saved me uh, at that point. Uh, And I didn't realize that, and my family doctor was not... I taught him, after I started reading, I taught him about the diet thing. He had no idea about the diet, because, you know, he he was honest. He told me, you know how much nutritional education we get in medical school? I had one class when I was a freshman. You know, and that was it. He didn't wow. know about diet, you know, he, he, and he admitted that. Uh, well, diet is a huge component. Uh, our patients who get better follow a, a sugar-free, starch-free, sometimes gluten-free diet. Well, that's what you did, Glenn, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what I did. And you know what? I've gotten off of that somewhat, and I'm realizing I have to get back on it. You know, maybe not to the degree I had before, but... You know, I was I was not eating. I was I was really pr- meat and and some vegetables and what we always said is you shop around the outside of the grocery store and you never walk down an aisle except for toilet paper. Exactly um, right. Is that right? Nothing I mean, out of a box, can, or jar. Exactly, <laughs> because you'll be shocked what has gluten and sugar. Pretty much eliminates ninety percent of the food on the market today. Um, I was reading an article yesterday about red seaweed that is in all these smoothies that people are drinking, and that's a highly inflammatory uh, food. You don't want to eat that if you have Lyme disease. Huh. See, who yeah. knew? And actually, your husband, she did. <laughs> your husband, Peter, who was a nutritionist, was a big help when I was in, really in my worst of the state. Um, yes. He was yes. a huge help for me. 
because he he's understood it. Yeah, he's yeah. in um, nutrition research, and it's funny because he understands it even more now. Um, but it, it's, you know, I don't know. It's so funny because Lyme has been around for so long. You want to say, well, it's new because it's not new, but yet the understanding of what um, what can relieve symptoms, I don't even want to say cure it, cure it, but what can relieve symptoms is new. As if, nutri- you know, understanding what you eat and changing what you eat and monitoring your, managing your environment, that's all relatively new, isn't it? It's fairly new, and it's becoming more and more acceptable. Uh, Joe Beriscana, who's probably the guru of Lyme disease, has a... Um, a practice guide out on uh, nutrition and Lyme disease, and he's a firm advocate that you need to eat well, no junk, limit your exercise until you're better, and you know. You I never had a problem with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Limiting your exercise. Yeah, I never had a problem. <laughs> I still don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Now, tell me before we let you go, uh, one thing. Is there anything new? Or is there any research study being done? Is there money being spent on it now? Are we going to see that vaccine or some kind of drug that, uh, you know, is going to be the magic bullet here? What, what's on the horizon? Unfortunately, nothing at the moment. Um, hopefully, the New York legislation is pushing forward um, research will help come up with something. There's the Lyme, um, of course, the name's failing me right now. Columbia University has a Lyme uh, Institute, and they're doing lots of research. Um, UC Davis out here in California is doing lots of equine Lyme research. So we're in a learning pattern and a research pattern, but there's nothing new at this moment. Okay, well, that's depressing. Mm. Thanks a lot for that. Uh. Sorry. <laughs> oh, he's getting his like sense of humor old. back now. He's got his sense of humor back now, so this is good, Glenn. That's a good sign. <laughs> well, they say you don't lose your sense of humor, right? Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. It's LymeDisease.org, and, and what's your website for, your, for your, the practice you work with? It's PacificFrontierMedical.com. Pacific Frontier Medical? Is that what I heard? Yes. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. Thank Carol. you. Well, you know, before before LymeDisease.org came along and a couple of the other smaller organizations around the country that do the same advocacy work that they do, uh, you know, we kind of fell out in left field. I, I felt like I was the only one with chronic Lyme disease and I was the only one this sick and you know, where do you turn? And And when I came across these organizations, I finally had a place to turn. Um, and it was these organizations actually back when when you your, you and your husband were helping me out with my diet. Um, these organizations weren't even talking about diet. You know, it was not something that existed on their radar as something that could help. So you know that was kind of something that's come along over the last couple of years. I've been bad about my diet, and I need to fix that. I still get depressed because you know how much I like to eat everything. Yes. You know, for a foodie, being on this particular diet sucks. I mean, it sucks when you go to a restaurant. It sucks when you go to the grocery store. It just sucks. But It's challenging, yes. There's lots of people with lots of other things that are much worse than me. So I need to just get over that and just 
you know, just do it. Um, well, you know what? I mean, much worse. Yes, of course there are, are things. But, you know, that doesn't mean that it's easy for you to live with your condition. So there's still struggles. Every day you have struggles. Right. So I don't want to diminish that. I don't want you to diminish it. Yeah, just because it's I not as bad as, a, as what someone else I think else I do has. diminish it as a way to just, you know, go, don't be to stupid, deal with it. just deal with it and go on, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's definitely um, a coping mechanism. A lot of people do that and yeah. with a lot of things. I could have cancer, you know, and be dying tomorrow. So, I, you know, I guess that I look at but that. But then you'd be dead and you wouldn't have to worry about your Lyme disease, okay? <laughs> I, 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 and I don't mean to make light of this, but it, it's living with Lyme disease. I mean, I've... I've obviously been close with you and your wife for a long time. My husband had it. It is not an, it's not something that's easy to live with. Do you get accustomed to it? Do you acclimate? Do you make, do you adapt? Yes, of course you do. That doesn't mean that you're, it ever becomes something that you don't have to manage. You just have, you just get a little bit better at managing it. Very well said. I couldn't have said it better myself, especially today. Uh, so yes, (laughs) very well said. So I, you know, if I hope we didn't bore everybody today. If you know somebody, or if you have somebody that you're going, something hit home today, or, or you know, you have a comment on what we've talked about today, we would love to hear from you. Either stop over to our Facebook page at Stable Scoop, just look up Stable Scoop Radio Show. You can email us at Glenn with two N's at horseradionetwork.com or Helena H E L. H-E-L-E-N-A at <laughs> horseradionetwork.com. Spelling's also a trouble when you have a line. Um, so, you know, please, you know, drop us a note. We would like to hear your story or, you know, whether you, you've got anything out of today. We would love to hear that. Don't be afraid if you think you know somebody that has it and has been fighting with some mysterious disease. Don't be afraid to ask your doctor about it. Uh, that's the most important thing. You can get lots of terrific, reliable information at LymeDisease.org. Uh, that's a terrific website. They have, uh, you know, they've broken it down and made it very simple to understand. Which, and if you you do have it, if you do have it, find yourself a doctor that you that is willing to work with you. Get an advocate. You're going to need it. You um, are. You're going to need it. You cannot do this by yourself. Um, you know, she had. I never got to the IV point. I think because the doctors at that time weren't going that route because the mm. insurance company wouldn't pay for it. Um, so, you know, with, with our previous guest today, you know, she's had that IB in what, for almost two years. Um, so boy, you know, I'm glad I never had to do that. That that just sounds awful (laughs) and weird to think about, you know, and she's about to get it out. She's going to be so happy to get it out, you know? uh, Oh, and if you've ever like, go ahead and Google a Hickman catheter and you'll, you'll see why she's happy to get it out. Well, she said, you know, there's just all these precautions she has to take every time she takes a shower. She can't go swimming. You know, just all this stuff you can't do. Yeah. Uh, see, you could always have it worse. <laughs> you could always have it worse. This is true. Well, that's with, with anything my, in life. I'll deal with my two days every month. But I promise you, Helena, that I'm going to start to get back on my diet. I don't think I'm going to go quite to the extreme that I did before. And, you know, the diet was good for one thing. I lost 50 pounds in a year. Wow, I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah, don't you remember how skinny I was? <laughs> well, I, I yeah. Well, you don't know. No, you stayed in a lot. You did get really thin. You're right. Yeah, I, I did. Didn't and when people saw enough. me for the first time, they hadn't seen me in that year. They were like, and John, even from Bitter Britain, hadn't seen me for a year because I worked remotely. 
Yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm not a fatty anymore. Yeah. So, and I was never really a fatty fatty, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely lost a lot of weight. So I could l- stand to lose a few pounds right now. So. Well, <laughs> well, you know, too, though, is you, you made all these other adjustments. You moved, you've, you've reduced a lot of the stress in your life. Yeah. I mean, there's always stress, but, yeah. um, you know, you've reached a new place. So you were, you know, you're like, I got yeah, better I'll when I moved you. away from you. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> you too? Oh, no. <sighs> I noticed your daughter had her bag packed. It was by the door. You better double check uh-uh. that. <laughs> Our daughter. Oh, she's an angel. Although, you know, she had, she gets tick bites all the time. She gets bitten by everything. She's a and so we, I mean, it's, and it's too bad. I mean, we have a St. Bernard, we have two cats, we have horses and we're surrounded by 18 acres of woods. So we have ticks all the time and I'm constantly pulling them off of my pets. We check to see whether or not they're dog ticks versus deer ticks. So, of course, I found a deer tick on one of the cats, and I'm like, all right, now it's time to really start doing these, like, obsessive tick checks. And, of course, she got, she had one on her head. She had a bite. So we watch it. Well, and, you know, to keep in mind, too, just one last thing here. This is not limited to the Northeast anymore. It's in all 50 states. This is not something that is geographical. No. Um, so and you know it's 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 in all fifty states. It maybe t- fifteen years ago it was in a certain geography, but not anymore. So yeah, keep that in mind. Um, and then uh, you know all of you people in the Northeast and on the East Coast very shortly are going to be dealing with something you don't deal with very often, but every seventeen years they're coming, people. What cicada year? It's cicada year. Well, what, what does that mean? That means you're going to have an overrun. You're going to be overrun by cicadas very shortly. Uh, this is the year they expect a record number of cicadas this year. Okay, so hold on a minute That's here. The 17 where, where, year cicadas. Billions of cicadas to invade U.S. East Coast after 17 years underground. Yep. Insects emerge only when ground temperature reaches precisely 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. <gasps> Billions of cicadas. And you hear them. You, you know, they sound like locusts. You know, they're very loud. Um, and the last time they were out, I remember we, we, uh, we, where did we live? I'm trying to remember where we lived. We had a small influx of them in Lexington about four years ago when we lived there. And you would walk down the sidewalks and you would crunch their shells. Um, there, were that, there were that many. And they have bright red eyeballs. Are you looking at a picture of them? Yeah, I am. Um, they're cute. They're actually kind of pretty. Well, they have bright red eye, but they're not pretty in person because they get to be about two inches long. And yeah. they are deafening. They said in areas where the cicadas, some areas will get more than others, but in areas where they're really infested, mm-hmm. um, you will have a million per acre. Yeah. And the, they get up to 98 decibels, which is a rock band decibels they said you will not be able to hear a plane go overhead that's uh, flying low they're so loud um so there you go that's coming um everybody well (laughs) just so you know there are this is funny because there's this like totally scientific article that i'm looking at and and it's (laughs) it says they don't bite you or zombify you or anything no (laughs) that's right (laughs) 
<laughs> they're just bugs. They're just bugs, and they don't bite, they're but they do bugs. run into you, and you will hit them with your windshield a lot. So. Oh, no, and I just got a new car. <laughs> they fly around, and you're going to be hitting uh-huh. them. So good luck with all of that. They don't come as far south as Florida, so I'm glad we live here. Well, when do they start? Well, oh, any day now. Yeah, any when day now when the ground written? gets, what, the 68 degrees or whatever. Oh, yeah, so, okay, so yesterday this article came out, and it says any day now. Lovely. Well, maybe we'll be, maybe they won't come to the coast. Yeah, maybe they're not as far far as the mile from the coast. Right. You could get lucky. Yeah. But I, I do remember them, and they are very loud. So uh, okay. hopefully uh, you're not in the area that gets them by the millions per acre. Oh, please, God. <laughs> that sounds like a biblical plague. That's it for this week. You can find all of our show notes at stablescoop.com, and we'll be back with a lighter topic next week, I promise. Like what? I have no idea. Let's talk about boobs. I have boobs? <laughs> boobs, not oh, boobs. Oh, boobs. Oh, I was going <laughs> Oh, you're week. such a man. <laughs> I was surprised you wanted to talk about that topic. I was like, whoa. <laughs> you got a little excited. You, <laughs> you're like, is that my lime? Did I just hear <laughs> her say what I think she said? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, I was being silly. And yeah, you (laughs) took it one step further, as always. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back next week with more. Until then, happy scooping and do your tick checks.